This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm Jason Roundsville. I'm joined today with my co-host, Dylan Ray, and we have special guest, Mike or Apollo, welcome to the show, Mike. It's great to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. For those of you who don't know, Mike is a partner with the Barkley Damon Law Firm, and he is actually our newest board member to the Pope and Young Club. He is our new membership chairman. So, Mike, welcome and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to, to have you here and, and uh, learn a little more about you and let our, our members and, and folks out there and in the podcast world hear, hear all about you. So give us a little rundown. Who, who's Mike and, and what's he all about? Mike Orpalo is a guy that grew up in, in central New York, the Finger Lakes region in New York. And uh, for, for a lot of people that don't realize uh, New York is made up of more than just New York city. We have uh, uh, we're about four hours away from uh, New York City, and um, you know the the uh, uh, Iroquois Nation had always said that the Finger Lakes region of Central New York is where the Great Spirit placed his hand upon the earth and left five Finger Lakes, and uh, and I live uh, uh, oh not even a stone's throw from one of them. I'm I'm right on the uh, banks of Owasco Lake. The, the Finger Lakes are glacial lakes. Uh, and for example, Alaska Lake's about, uh, oh, about 15 miles long, mile and a half wide, and 200 feet deep at its deepest point. 
so I grew up in the uh, in Central New York, and obviously with Central New York and the Finger Lakes, uh, hunting and fishing was near and dear to me right from the very beginning. You know, uh, from uh, picking up rocks and feathers and and uh, various things to hiking around to to watching waterfowl. The, the Montezuma National Wildlife Refuge is less than 10 miles away. So my dad used to take us to Montezuma to watch the, you know, spring and fall migrations. And it's just a wonderful area. And uh, of course, uh, with that, uh, I grew up and started uh, not only hunting, uh, you know, when I was uh, of age, you know, uh, taking the hunter safety at age 13 and started hunting at 14. And, uh, and, uh, you know, started to really gain an interest in archery and bow hunting. And uh, it was pretty new back then, um, you know, from uh, this area. But we have we have quite a few deer. We have more deer around here now than we did when I was first growing up. But um, I started bow hunting in the in the late 70s. And, uh, you know, it was before I went to college, before I went to law school. And uh, uh, it was something that just, you know, uh, tickled my fancy. You know, I love the bow hunting and I love the hunting in the outdoors. And so I've been lucky enough through the course of years to make a long story short uh, to do a lot of work in the outdoor industry and working with great organizations like Pope and Young, uh, but among others, and to be able to really give back to you know, the, the sport uh, and conservation that um, really has given so much to me. That's wonderful. And I know I met you not even so much through Pope and Young, I guess inadvertently, but at some of the shows and you were always, always in the mix. I know I did, did quite a few introductions for me with some of the Boone and Crockett folks and, and different um, individuals throughout the industry. And so it, it always intrigued me um, all the different facets that that people can be in the outdoor industry and, and be part of. It's um, it's pretty interesting because um, my law partner, uh, Rick Capoza and I, Rick is from uh, also central New York. And funny story, we're both of Italian descent and our ancestors uh, grew up about uh, 10 miles of, apart from each other in the Benevento area of Italy. And Rick and I live about 10 miles apart, but we both have that passion for hunting in the outdoors. And we've been able to create uh, through the, 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 the networking and the, the contacts that we have, one of the only uh, dedicated uh, uh, outdoor industry and wildlife law, you know, legal teams in the country. And, you know, it's, it's on our website. And if, if you go there, you'll see all of the things that we do from simply, you know, uh, attending the, um, uh, the different trade shows, speaking at the trade shows. I, I'm very active with the taxidermy community. Uh, that was one of the first things that got me into the law and, you know, talking to taxidermists and trying to keep them out of trouble by learning the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, the Endangered Species Act, the Lacey Act, and things to that effect. But Rick and I uh, represent uh, outdoor industry and wildlife clients, uh, you know, ranging from your local gun club to uh, some of the, the biggest uh, manufacturers in the industry. Wow. 
Excellent. So you're all over the place then. Yeah, I have that disease that um, uh, I, I can't say no. So <laughs> I, I'm usually involved with a lot of different things. And it, to me, it I, I love it. I'm uh, The more I have on my plate, the, the more I get done. Well, that's good, because as our new membership chairman, uh, you've, I know you've got plenty on your plate just from the Pope and Young perspective. So we're excited to have you. I know Shelly got a chance to visit with you and, and is excited. So um, welcome aboard for that. Happy to be on board. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned New York and not being from the East Coast. I hear New York and the first thing I think is, oh, what floor of the skyscraper do you live on? <laughs> <laughs> and so then when I, I've had the privilege of getting to know quite a few people from from that area, I haven't spent a lot of time there, but it, there is a rich history of hunting and fishing and outdoor heritage there that that you just don't see you know, that part of New York is not usually portrayed on TV, I think. No, it's not. And it's it's interesting because, you know, uh, just the county that I live in, uh, Cuga County in, in central New York, it, it it goes almost from the Pennsylvania border to the south. The, to, to the north, it's bound boundary of Lake Ontario, one of the, the uh, uh, you know, Great Lakes. And then to the west, Cuga Lake, which is one of the Finger Lakes, and Owasco Lake and Skinny Atlas Lake to the east. So it's a real unique county. Uh, and But then you take a look at areas like the St. Lawrence River, which has a rich, rich heritage of uh, uh, of hunting waterfowl. Uh, the, uh, the, the Market gunning days. Yeah, the, the Clayton Decoy uh, uh, Festival is continues to go, and it's one of the most famous decoy festivals in the country. In addition to you know the Ward Museum down in Maryland and such, but uh, and then you've got even Long Island, which is close to New York City, which is also has a, a rich gunning heritage. But our uh, our our you know our deer hunting, our uh, upland game. It's interesting because between the Finger Lakes. It's glacial origin, right? So you have the lakes that are the lowland, and then between each of the lakes, you've got highlands that uh, are what we call drumlins, which are where the the uh, the glaciers left the 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 high areas between the lakes and and just settled right where the lakes are, and that became our Finger Lakes. Very nice, definitely an interesting landscape. It's different than what you see in a lot of other places across the country. Except for it's cold in the wintertime. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the other place that, that always amazed me and what you see or what you typically think of versus how it actually is when you get there is California is kind of like that too. They have this, it is. you know, surfer image and, and, you know, you think of LA and San Francisco, but then you get there and there is a huge hunting heritage and, and a lot of, um, connection to the land, a lot of farming, a lot of ag, and uh, it's it's definitely different than how you see it portrayed, you know, out, out in the world. Exactly. I mean, and look at the connection to Pope and Young itself with Ishii in Northern California and such. Yes. Yeah. I always like to point that out to people when they give me a hard time for being from Oregon. I'm like, well, technically, you know, Ishii's from California and and uh, the Glen St. Charles Museum was originated in Washington. So I'm kind of right in the middle of those two. About there halfway. So, and so what, what do you have on your, on your calendar coming up, Mike? What's keeping you busy this time of year? 
Well, this time of year, it's really um, it's the emergence from COVID. Um, As you know, Jason, uh, I I travel an awful lot or I did travel an awful lot. I mean, I'm typically in airports at least once a week. Um, You know, I don't travel every day like like some people. But, you know, I start out in January and I'm typically at the ATA show and Dallas Safari Club. And then that moves on to Houston Safari Club and and Safari Club International and the SHOT Show and, you know, and a variety of, of other things. Then that's just, you know, sort of the uh, networking and marketing that I do. But, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a trial lawyer. So I, um, I, I I travel all around the country litigating cases primarily in the intellectual property and environmental area. And as far as intellectual property goes, it's, you know, the, the different mechanisms on bows and accessories and things to that effect, uh, to mergers and acquisitions. And, you know, I'm on the, the deal teams. And then uh, on the environmental side, I, I really have a, a, a unique niche. I, um, I do a lot with the environment environmental laws, the wildlife laws, like I mentioned, Migratory Bird Treaty Act and CITES and things to that effect for hunters that travel internationally, both in preparation for their hunts and in the unlikely event that they get stopped at uh, at the border with the Custom and Border Patrol or U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and they have issues there. Two, um, I've really developed a niche with uh, natural history museums where natural history museums and sometimes privately endowed natural history museums uh, uh, are looking to acquire collections of certain types of wildlife. And some of those wildlife, some of those specimens are covered by the Endangered Species Act and such. So it requires, you know, a review of those specimens. It requires sometimes working with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and sometimes it requires getting permits. So it really runs the gamut. And so I am just starting to emerge from COVID like everyone else. I was on a plane back from Houston, Texas on March 16th, 2020. And I did not uh, board a plane again until March 20th, uh, 2021. So over a year, I was not on a plane and so I'm starting to emerge now and, and I've got travel this week and next week and it's probably going to continue right on uh, through the summer and into the fall. And, you know, just like Pope and Young, a number of the annual meetings that uh, either have gone virtual or they've been pushed out past their normal dates. And uh, And so it looks like I'm going to be on the road most of the year and uh, hopefully have a little bit of time to enjoy the wonderful Finger Lakes that I live on, that uh, the summertime is always a phenomenal time there as well. Yeah, I'm sure. It's it's interesting when you're in the industry, I think there's a, a misconception that, oh, well, gosh, you're in the hunting industry. You probably, all you ever do is hunt. And I like to tell people, well, you know, I, I wish that were the case, but I'm either hunting or getting my job done. And unfortunately, I have to have to get my job done, too. So, no, that's that's true. I mean, uh, you know, I do a lot of travel for hunting in the outdoors, but the actual hunting is is not as much. But it but I, I still get a chance to get out there. Um, you know, we um, as a law firm 
uh, one of the things that we do from, from a marketing standpoint and from a client relationship standpoint is we actually host, um, you know, waterfowl hunts and turkey hunts. Uh, and, you know, we, th- it gives us an opportunity to thank some of our clients and to actually spend some quality time with them, uh, either in a duck blind or, you know, in preparation for the hunt. We usually associated with those hunts, we usually have a dinner the night before. So it really gives us the opportunity not only to get to know our clients, but to get to know what's going on in the industry and what what keeps them up at night. Yeah. It's, I've attended a lot of trade shows and a lot of conferences. And like you say, it's, it's the preparation. It's your, you're getting your stuff ready for the next day's morning. And you learn probably 80% of what you really need to know in those after hours, you know, grabbing a cocktail or, or cleaning, you know, getting your equipment ready, things like that. That's uh, those have always been very valuable to me. Absolutely. And so um, tell us a little bit about, so how was your bow season this last year? Well, um, I, I, for, for a variety of reasons, including COVID that everybody dealt with in 2020, I'd rather put uh, 2020 in the rearview mirror. (laughs) You you and everybody else. I thought I I was all for that. And then 2021 got here and, and the, First little first month or so of 2021, I don't think was any better than what we had in 20. So, well, I'm I started out. I started out uh, 2020 before COVID, drawing a two C tag in in, uh, in New Mexico, uh, one of the best bow mule deer tags that there is, and I never even drew the bow, and not it wasn't because of my guide or anything else. It was because it was. Uh, I don't know if it ever even hit zero degrees the whole time I was out there. So as, as most people know, it's not very easy to stock mule deer with squeaky snow uh, with those big ears and everything else. So I had tag soup in, uh, in uh, New Mexico. And then, uh, and then I, I finished out the year in just the opposite weather. The whitetails in uh, in Iowa, it was seventy five degrees the whole time that I was out there. Huh. Uh, you know, so I'd rather put twenty twenty in the rearview mirror. I've already started out twenty twenty one with a nice Osceola turkey in Florida. So nice. Hopefully, we're gonna we're gonna go in the right direction. That sounds good. I, I know there's a lot of people on uh, definitely rooting for that to happen. So it's 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 had so many implications far reaching and, you know, talk to some of the outfitters. We've obviously we've got our big auction coming up here in July at convention and you talk to some of these outfitters and, and especially ones North of the border, man, they just, they got shut down. A lot of their oh, clients completely. come from the U S and, you know, they're, they're reeling right now. They're, they're excited to get back out there, but it, they don't even have a date. So they're, they're hoping for sooner than later, but, they're kind of left in in limbo on a lot of that stuff. But uh, every time we talk to them, we say, hey, we're, we're a full go for, for Reno in July. And they're like, so I'm going to get to have a booth and actually look across at real people, not just talk to them on the phone. I said, yep. They said, great, I'll be there. So um, there's a lot of excitement about that just because we're going to be the first major outdoor show back after COVID. 
Yeah, no, it's it it's fantastic. So that's uh, definitely something we're excited about. Did you hear we we've got Michael Waddell coming in to to join our lineup? The Bone Collector, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we've got Nick Hoffman, Remy Warren. We we've got a whole host of folks that are going to be there, and and that's just some of the speakers. Some um, it it always amazes me when you go through that convention that you just walk up and sit down next to a table. And sometimes I don't pay attention. I just sit down and start visiting with people. And, and then you look over and it's somebody that you've been reading articles they've been writing in major magazines for 30 years. <laughs> They're just sitting there having a sandwich and uh, happy to talk to you. It's amazing. You know, I mean, I, and I've been to a number of, of, of biannual conventions, you know, and, uh, I try to tell people that are, are bow hunting and, and in the industry, what a different vibe there is at a Pope and Young convention compared to some of these other trade shows and conventions. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I'm hoping to do, Jason, as, um, as membership chair is, as you know, I'm pretty active with the Archery Trade Association and with a lot of the manufacturers. And there, there's, there's been a disconnect between the industry and bow hunting. And I think one of the, one of the biggest things that some of these, um, uh, you know, uh, members of the ATA and, um, you know, sort of your, your higher ups at some of these manufacturing, uh, you know, entities, the best thing that they could do is to attend a convention because then they would actually see, this is what it's all about. Uh, yes. there's so much passion it for, archery and bow hunting both in the industry and at pope and young but i don't think that sometimes i think we get caught up in the industry like you say we we don't do as much hunting and we are are more on the business side well the pope and young convention gives you the opportunity to get back to your roots it, it really does and it's so neat it's because literally the 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 big names that you if, if you could draw or if you could sit down and write a list of, of everyone you'd like to meet, you know, in the bow hunting world, we're all, we're going to have them at convention and you could literally be sitting at a table next to them. And you just, what I've seen is you don't have, they're, they're not as aloof as what you see at some of the, the big shows. You know, if you go to, um, you know, shot show, for example, you'll have somebody there and they'll have their entourage and, you know, it's hard to get to talk to them. And at Pope and Young, it's, it's a, almost more informal and, and they're just there to enjoy it and, and see the awards and check out the trophy displays, see the new world records and, and just talk with other bow hunters. And I think they're there, they're there for just the being a bow hunter. Yeah. Yeah. They're there for the same reason as you are or that I am, you know, they want to go and see it and they want to, check it out and they want to hear stories and you know all of those kinds of things it's amazing uh you know i brought a a young young uh, uh kid the to uh the convention it wasn't the one in omaha i'm trying to remember which one it was but you know i'm like uh hey you want to meet mr james come on with me you know and uh, you know it's just you know and and everybody is so gracious and it's just a whole different vibe than the the rigmarole of the trade show, which is important itself. But trade shows are different, and you know people are busy and they're taking orders and doing all of those things. Where the Pope and Young Convention is about bow hunting and about 
you know, telling stories and listening to stories. And there's some good stories. Oh, yeah. Jason, you know, my my, uh, my dad doesn't get too excited about anything. Like, he's the kind of guy I could be like, you know, hey, I just talked to so-and-so, and he'd be like, yeah, cool, you know, whatever. He's just not real excitable. Um, you know, even when, like, our sports teams are doing good, he's like, oh, they'll probably fail pretty soon. And I'm like, well, they're doing good for now. He just doesn't get excited about stuff. And uh, I was sitting with him the other day, and my phone rings, and I'm like, no caller ID. Who is this? And I answer it, and it was Chuck Adams. Yeah. Uh, and my dad hears me say, uh, well, how are you, Mr. Adams? And my dad starts freaking out. Oh, yeah. He's like, dude, if you get Chuck Adams at convention, I'll be there. And I'm like, dude, it's guys like that who – who you'll get to rub shoulders with him. And I mean, sit down and like you said, have a sandwich with him. And, and uh, he was like, well, I might have to come to my first ever convention then. And uh, it's just, I mean, that's a perfect example of like, you know, these people that you've idolized forever and, and they're just sitting there and you can go and, and have those conversations with them. And so, uh, and I do a uh, little teaser coming up. Uh, Chuck Adams will be on the podcast. I'll make sure and tune into that one. Yeah. That's it's so neat. Cause he's, I've talked to him several times. And I, you know, I don't get starstruck. A lot of the new folks in, in the industry, I, you know, I don't have cable. And, and even if I did, I don't have a lot of time to, to watch, to watch it. And so I don't know some of the new personalities probably as well as I should, but some of the ones who've been around the establishments like the Chuck Adams, you know, I mean, we were reading their articles when there were only, you know, four different magazines to choose from. And I was on the phone with him the other day and I've probably got a little, little struck, but I was, I was telling him, I said, you know, I remember reading an article of yours from 30 years ago. And I said, you're standing there with, I don't know, had to be four or five mule deer. And the smallest one in that group was bigger than any mule deer I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they're just amazing, (laughs) amazing animals. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's an easy one to get starstruck by, at least for me. And he's such a nice guy. My dad said, tell Chuck that I've shot I shot the same old uh, Hoyt 86 game getter because that's what he shot, and I shot it for 20 years just because that's what Chuck Adams shot. <laughs> that's awesome. It's so true. I mean, I one of the first conventions I went to, I think it might have even been the first convention I went to, was the 50-year convention in uh, in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there talking with uh, Gene and Barry Wenzel, you know, who, again, you know, I had read – so many different articles about and and things to that effect and uh my good friend john janelli is who got me involved with pope and young i mean i've been a bow hunter for many years it just i never took the time to join and you know and for he couldn't make the convention so i'm sitting there at the um at the the banquet the saturday night banquet i think it was saturday night banquet and uh and I, I'm supposed to meet two people. So the first person that walks up to me, I'm sitting there talking to him. And I didn't know who he was. He was just being very friendly. And uh, he goes, um, uh, is this your first convention? I said, yeah, it is. He goes, uh, do you know anybody here? I said, as a matter of fact, uh, John Ginelli had uh, travel disruptions. And I'm supposed to meet dr dave samuel here and uh lenny cardinelli and uh and uh he goes hmm is that so he goes uh well i'm dr dave samuel you know and uh (laughs) and so here is the first guy i meet was the guy i was supposed to meet and then of course 
Lenny and uh, Jim Doherty. And I mean, it was just uh, a who's who of, uh, of the bow hunting in Pope and Young. Yeah. And it's, you know, what you don't see there is the, you know, the, the phrase, well, don't you know who I am? You know, people will introduce themselves and say, oh, I'm, you know, here's who I am. They don't expect you to know who they are. Like, like some of the folks in, in other, in other places that you bump into. No, it's very true. And it, it, it's so good that you got Michael Waddell for, for a keynote speaker. Cause Michael is the same way he yeah. will. He, he is so gracious and so blessed to be doing what he's doing and he will give back. Uh, he and his friends will give back to, to, to the industry and to bow hunting more than anything else. Yeah. I'll tell you what I love, and I haven't even been to a convention yet, Jason. I've only been to panel, but you meet all these guys, and and I remember somebody telling me, um, because I'm getting into shooting a recurve, and they said, well, if you're getting into shooting a recurve, then you really need to be there because, you know, there's all these guys who have found such great success in it, and you can pick their brain all week long, and uh, and I found that to be true at panel. You know, I'm talking with, you know, Frank Noska, who's on his third round of of the all yeah. species and i'm like you know i'm sitting there picking his brain on hunting on bow hunting and and uh you know you just have access to all of this knowledge and so that's what i love most about it it's just soaking in all that knowledge from all these guys who have found such great success in it yeah and and they're willing to share it it's not like a trade secret it's not well i'm not going to tell you about my secret you know how i do this they're they're happy to share it well, it is. And, it, you know, it's funny. It's the real parallel to to the the sportsmen uh, of old. You know, you hearken back to Hornaday and, and Roosevelt and others. And they put these laws, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, of, you know, uh, Endangered Species Act. A lot of these different things went into play way back when because they wanted to make sure that they had longevity to their sport. And that's what these traditional uh, recurve uh, longbow hunters are. They want to keep keep their sport going, and they want to they want to impart that knowledge onto others instead of keeping it away from them. Yeah. So what? Obviously, Reno in July has got to be one of the highlights of your of your upcoming season. But what else, What what do you look at as far as what's a hunting trip that you have that you're looking forward to this next year? Maybe make up from last year. Well, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I apply like a lot of people do uh, to different states and we're right in the middle of uh, of application season. So I'm hoping that I draw one of those coveted tags again. Uh, but if I don't draw one of those coveted tags, you know, I, I may hunt, uh, you know, elk in Colorado or, uh, you know, whitetail in the Midwest someplace, may go on an antelope hunt in august or, or early september you know it's um it's really up in the air this year because because of north of the border as well what you mentioned before jason i mean i've i'm i'm i've talked about possibly doing a mule deer hunt in alberta but right now you can't really plan on that and uh i think there will be plenty of opportunity even if even if i don't draw a tag in a certain state so i'm 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 excited about doing something. I just don't know what that something is yet. Yeah. Hurry up and wait. Yeah. 
get your applications in and then then let the let the luck of the draw determine where you're going this fall. What's you know, you might have a little insight into this. Any idea when Canada's gonna open up to us? Uh, you know, I'm hearing rumors here and there, but um no, because right now Canada is is as I understand it, is right in the midst of the COVID crisis because they don't have the the, the vaccines that we have in the U.S. Uh, and I, you know, I don't have any inside knowledge of it, but my understanding is is that uh, the um, the orders for vaccines in Canada lagged, and so that instead of getting them from the U.S., they're getting them from Europe, and there's a a bottleneck there. Gotcha. So yeah. I, I'm hoping I'm hoping that that gets resolved and not only for the hunters, but like you said, the outfitters are hurting. Uh, yeah. You know, I talked to a lot of outfitters from from Canada and I mean, you can't go there. You know, it's it's in people have a hard time. You know, I missed missed my spring trip last year. Couldn't get up there. And I said, well, I'll see everybody in the fall and then couldn't get there in the fall. Now spring. I've got a buddy who was who was hunting last week, hunting white geese up there. And, and I can't get there again this year. And right now we're just hoping for the fall. It's, uh, it's tricky. The only thing I can say is when we do get back to Canada and some of these places, there should be a pretty good age structure of, of animals in those places because there wasn't the pressure for a year and almost two years. So uh, I think you're going to see, you know, some really real trophy animals coming out of Canada and who knows, maybe another world record. Yeah, it was sure neat. We just got to talk to uh, the new world record elk holder uh, not too long ago. And that was a fantastic, uh, fantastic discussion. You know, he's one of those guys, he's just excited about it and, and happy and kind of the guys that you're always rooting for. Oh, yeah. Out there with his two boys when it, when it happened, so. Great story. What's on your bucket list? If you had to pick one thing to chase, either something you haven't gotten yet or something you'd like to go back and do again, what would it be? Well, I've got, I mean, there there were really two things uh, on the top of my bucket list. One was the Cape Buffalo in Africa. And and I was lucky enough in 2017 to, to go bow hunting in, in South Africa and to take a, a nice uh, Cape Buffalo. But the second thing that's on my bucket list is a is a brown bear or a, or a grizzly in uh, in Alaska, and uh, the the opportunity is there. I just haven't made the time or uh, you know done the work. I've talked to a couple of outfitters. You know, um, I know Frank Ensminger uh, very well, Frank and Sue, and I'd like to get up and 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 hunt brown bear with them, and. Uh, you know, and then always, always is the epitome of of uh, of hunting sheep at some point in time. It's an expensive game, but I'm uh, I'm I've continued to put in applications, and hopefully one day I'll be lucky enough to go chase uh, uh, sheep with a bow. That's yeah. I've been. Let's see. I've been at the table when a couple people. Well, it was a year before last. I was at the table when Dallas won a bighorn hunt down at the uh, Wildlife Expo in Utah. Oh wow! And then the year before that, I was sitting next to my buddy Dave 
uh, with North American hunting competition. And, and he got drawn up onto the stage for heads or tails for a desert bighorn. Oh, so I, I'm, I have a seat at the table, but uh, I, I think in, in, especially in Dallas's case, I think it may have something to do with, he had, you know, a lot more tickets in that bucket than what I did. Well, I want to sit at the table with you, Jason. I'll so maybe uh, it's uh, apparently my table's lucky, and now I'm just going to keep moving seats until I find that lucky seat. I think there you go. Yeah. So how how did the Cape Buffalo hunt? I know we get a lot of people that that's on their list. Tell us, I, I'd like to hear about that one. Well, you know, um, and ironically, the first African animal that I shot with a bow was a Cape Buffalo, which really? I wouldn't necessarily put that on the first thing. It just happened to be the way that it worked out. You know, I was, I was hunting with Nico Lawrence and Stompy Lynn Safaris. And, uh, you know, we, uh, 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 Dean Grieve uh, helped me out to, to, to locate uh, Nico. And um, we... Uh, you know, we had planned on going to different areas to hunt the different species so that we're in more of their native habitats as opposed to just, you know, hunting a blind over uh, over food or, or water. And uh, it just so happened that the year I was there it was a very dry year. So there was a lot of, you know, the, 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 the animals were going to water. And I had the opportunity to, to take a beautiful you know, Cape Buffalo at fairly close range, uh, you know, and uh, I had a herd of Cape Buffalo come in, you know, within, some of them were within 15 yards of me. And it's a little disconcerting when you're hunting in Cape Buffalo and what you're hunting out of a pop-up blind, basically yeah. the same, <laughs> same kind of blind that you're hunting a turkey out of, only, uh, only a Cape Buffalo kill. can do a little more damage. Yeah. And uh, the the other thing was, uh, you know, we're sitting there, and don't we have two rhino fighting out in front of us? And they weren't fighting hard, but they were jostling each other uh, at about, uh, again, about 15 to 20 yards away. And our fear was that they were just going to be wrestling around, and, you know, we would have been collateral damage in that little pop-up line. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was, um, you know, I I was hunting with a you know an eighty pound bow, uh, you know, good setup, uh, you know, uh, with uh, all of my equipment, and I you know I I I hit the Cape Buffalo in the right spot, but I broke the rib a rib on the way in, and it deflected, so I only caught one lung. So it took us another no. Uh, uh, it took us that evening and the next morning before we were able to catch up with the Buffalo. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, uh, I went on a bear hunt last year in Maine in the North Maine woods. And, uh, so those woods are super, super thick. Some of the thickest woods I've ever seen. And I ended up taking my wife. Uh, I couldn't find another camera person to come with me. So I took my wife and, um, and we were in a pop-up blind and, and, uh, so she went out with me the first night and every twig or leaf we heard crunch, she thought a bear was coming through the blind. And so she, she actually ended up just staying in the, in the cabin the rest of the, the rest of the week. And I would just go out and hunt, but it was just hilarious. Cause I kept trying to tell her, I'm like, sweetheart, these, these are our black bears. They're terrified of you. You know, they're not, they're not just 
coming at you if it was it'd be a lot easier to hunt them and uh but every twig she heard she thought that a bear was about to come through that blind so she's yeah. scared and you're excited yeah you're, you're <laughs> yeah. knocking an arrow because there's a bear coming and she's yeah scared for her life yep so i took yeah. a camera person with me that wouldn't end up go hunting and film for me so yeah. <laughs> no it's it's amazing you know i mean but i, I love everything from the you know, the big Cape Buffalo to, you know, I, I love turkey hunting, you know, and it's one of those things, you know, the six subspecies of turkeys, you know, in North America. And it's one of those things that a lot of people don't really consider with a bow that, you know, that because you got all these, uh, you know, the, the grand slam with sheep and it's an expensive or a real lucky option, but if you go after the six subspecies or even just the four subspecies in, in, in uh, the U S you know, that's quite an accomplishment and it's doable and it's not that expensive and people don't realize, but that's a pretty doable thing. And I love it. I love the, the Turkey hunting, uh, and, uh, the different subspecies. And I've been lucky enough to collect all six with the bows. So. Nice. So, so there's your Turkey slam already in the bag. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have a hard problem. I have a hard problem getting fired up for turkeys because when it's turkey season, it's also like prime hog hunting time. So I'm like, do I want to go kill one bird or I want to go kill as many hogs as I possibly can? <laughs> True. And there's a lot of hogs. Yeah. Fortunately, we don't have hogs here. Yeah, I was just down in Florida, uh, like I said, Osceola hunting and boy there are uh, a lot of hogs down there and you know what really impressed me about florida is the 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 amount of uh, uh game that is in florida you know people think about florida as basically the east coast and the west coast but there's a lot of ground in between there and the hunting and fishing is phenomenal and and the people are phenomenal too in the in those areas that's good to hear i i think yeah, you know, much like New York and California, I think not everything we see, you know, on TV and our other sources are, are good representations of how things really are. It's very true. Yeah. So now, now that you've got your feet under you, let's see, you've, you've been on the board for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> how, how you, you have your, you have your new game plan all lined out for us. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of learning. <laughs> uh, put it that way. Um, you know, I, I just like if I'm hunting a different new species, when I get involved with a new organization, even though I've been involved with the organization, I do a lot of listening and I do a lot of asking questions to people that have done it before. And that's one thing I have to say, you know, present company included, you know, everyone has been fantastic as far as getting things done and answering my questions and, and trying to figure out what I need to do. There's a number of different things that, that, uh, you know, I'm in the process of doing, you know, just, you know, ministerial things for being, you know, the, the membership chair, but I have a lot of different ideas. Uh, uh like I said, given that the, uh, contacts that both I have and, and Rick Capoza, my, my law partner, uh, in the different, different uh, you know factions like i said the taxidermy industry i think that taxidermists are are where most trophy animals come in so they're a great source of potential memberships for pope and young 
you know, the the uh, the manufacturing side, the uh, archery trade association, but just the manufacturers. I'm great friends with a lot of the, uh, you know, CEOs, CFOs of some of these different uh, manufacturing and, and, and organizations, outdoor organizations. And I just think that that it's some untapped area. And I know that you guys are working really hard on, uh, you know, the future of Pope and Young and that this convention is going to be a real, uh, you know, uh, restart uh, for a lot of different things. And I'm excited about getting the word out to some people that I think would have joined Pope and Young a long time ago, but it just wasn't, you know, top on their to-do list. And we're going to try to put it up there. Good. Good. You know, I have to say, you mentioned Rick again, and I just have to say, I think it was at uh, one of the Dallas uh, dinners that, that you hosted, got a chance to to visit with him over dinner. And I, I think he spent probably 15 minutes talking about some of the different, I don't know if you'd want to call them food, but all the different dishes that he's tried from basically all over the world. And I'm like, uh, that was just so neat to hear him talk about some of that. And I'm like, man, I just don't know if I can eat that. And he's like, ah, you got to try it once. And so <laughs> yeah, it that, comes from our Italian heritage, you know, yeah, that peasant food, you know. It, it actually, I know it sounds ridiculous, but that actually changed the way I am a little bit. Because I've always been a little bit picky. I'm like, oh, no, you know, peanut butter and mustard sandwich, I'm not interested and now I'm kind of like, well, you know what? Let's try it once. And so it it actually gave me a good perspective on on how I probably needed to do things just a little bit differently. I'll bet, I'll bet that's something Rick doesn't even know. He's he's influencing people he probably didn't even realize. That's probably right. But that's yeah. he he does. He's a foodie, you know, and uh, and he's all about wild game too. I mean, he, you know, he nothing goes to waste. You know, he may travel you know, uh, you know, to the northern parts of Canada or wherever. And he's going to do his best to make sure that he brings that that, you know, a meat back with him, because that's part of celebration of the life of that animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what, Mike, what's something that you'd like our listeners, anything that we haven't touched on, you'd like our listeners to know about you or? Um, No, I I mean, you know, it's. I'll, I'll, I, I keep going back to the fact that, you know, the outdoors, bow hunting, archery is my passion and my profession. And I just, I just like the listeners to think about Pope and Young and how important Pope and Young and, and the traditions of Pope and Young is to, you know, the, the place that we are in our, our society, in our country, and where hunting in the outdoors is. It's important that not only uh, that that if you if you love this sport, but it's also important if you if you love good uh, organic meat, if you love uh, you know to to continue the conservation of the species, you know that that you know Hornaday and Rose, Roosevelt and others started out. It's just kind of learning a little bit about what hunting in the outdoors does for you. And I mean, including, you know, Pittman Robertson, you know, I, I talk to people on the street all the time 
you know, uh, mainstream people. They're not hunters that, you know, they're not against hunting necessarily, but they, they go, what? 11%? You have an 11% tax and that goes to outdoor organizations and, and conservation and all of that. I go, yeah. When you, when you put on your Nike shoes, uh, you don't pay an 11% tax on your Nike shoes or, or, or hiking boots to go hiking. But we, we put that in place ourselves as hunters to make sure that we had a legacy uh, of sustaining our livelihood and what we love and what we want for future generations. Yeah. And you mentioned it right there. That was a self-imposed tax. Imagine, you know, the bicycle community or the basketball community saying, hey, you know what? We want to pay an extra chunk on top of what we're already paying. We want to pay more just to help. You just don't see that anywhere else. People don't realize it. I mean, I think if we could we could get one message out and i'm not talking about just bow hunters and archery you know sportsmen is to really get people to realize that the conservation in the outdoors if if you were to shut down hunting that 11% goes away not only does that 11% go away and it's billions of dollars i mean you know it's documented but then all of those the the monies that are uh, go for for hunting licenses and these expensive tags that are auctioned off and everything else all of that goes to conservation in the outdoors and and people just don't realize that you know if you didn't have hunting and you didn't have hunters and you didn't have them buying what they're buying you wouldn't have those pots of money and nobody's going to go digging into their pocket to to pay those things it's something that's there. It's self-imposed. But look at the number of white-tailed deer that we have. Look at the wild turkey. Look at the wood duck that was endangered at one point in time. Now they're they're prolific. So um, that's the message that I'd like to get out. It really is. And a lot of those things are, once again, they're, they're self-imposed. There's no one that's, that cares more about our wild creatures and, and those wildlife populations than the hunters. And, you know, I was sitting here and, and I had a bunch of cackling can of geese fly over the house earlier. And it wasn't that long ago. It was only 20 years ago. You couldn't hunt those. They were a, right. a protected species. And now that, that makes up, you know, because of the conservation efforts led largely by hunters. Now that makes up a pretty good portion of the, the goose bag here in Western Oregon. It's yeah. And and you're not talking about a hundred years ago. You're talking about twenty years ago. It's amazing. So, yeah. When I was when I was growing up in Central New York, we didn't have a turkey around here. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm walking the dog this morning, and the turkeys are gobbling across the street. You know, it's, it's just uh, it, people don't realize it. You know, they take it for granted, or it, they just don't learn from history. I mean, it's. It's this, you know, uh, uh, and, I, and I don't mean to pick on younger generation because there's a lot of good things, but that's the way it's always been for them. So how would they know that it was any different unless somebody tells them? Yeah, well, you know, interesting story there is that was when I first came on with Pope and Young, I'd been a bow hunter for 30 years and I'd always just take it for granted that we'd always had a season. And it was through learning about why we were formed and how you know, we were part, integrally part of 
getting both seasons across the country that I realized, wow, this has been a part of my life for, for the majority of my life. I didn't, had no idea. I had just taken for granted that there had always been a bow season in, in, you know, where I hunt. And that was yeah, not like, the case. And had people not worked very hard to get it, it wouldn't be here. And I yeah. think going forward, the same people, you know, I, I think we're going to have to work very hard to keep what we currently have so that in another 30 years, people can appreciate, hopefully find out and appreciate, pr- appreciate the effort that we're putting in now to keep those seasons open and to keep the, the, areas that we love to hunt available to us. Absolutely. And not only for us, not only for us, for those hikers that aren't hunters that want to go out there, uh, that want to, you know, go to these uh, national wildlife refuges and see whooping cranes or whatever uh, uh, is out there. It's not just for us. We're paying that 11% where, and we're doing, we're paying our hunting licenses, but it's not just for us. Right. It's for everybody. Yeah, that's for sure. And it's, you know, 90 some percent of, of us enjoying the outdoors and enjoying those species isn't the harvest. Right. So now Mike, one question that we ask everybody on this program is when you're out in the woods or when you're out in the marsh, wherever you happen to be, what is up on the mountain? What is one thing that you take with you that might be a non-traditional item that that uh, you'd have in your pack. Uh, it's funny, you know. I, I was going to answer the question: is the one thing that I always take with me is the 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 hunters and and people that have that have passed on that have taught me hunting. Uh, but uh, if if I was going to say one thing, one item that I always bring with me, uh, and you say non-traditional. Because I was going to say, I always, you know, always have a knife or a pocket knife, and no matter where I go, except for you can't put them on, a, bring them on a plane anymore. But she's uh, non-traditional. It probably, <laughs> if <laughs> it's funny, I, it it would probably be. Uh, oh, I know what it would be. It would be I have an old wallet that I made when I was a Boy Scout that I always use to keep my hunting license in in that wallet. So that's the that would be the non-traditional item that's always in my backpack that probably isn't in anyone else's backpack uh, that, that's out there. Nice. So a wallet made when you're a Boy Scout. I like that. It's got, yeah, it's got, it was in order of the arrow, which is, you know, a, a special thing in the Boy Scouts, if you know the Boy Scouts, and I was an Eagle Scout that, uh, and I have etched into the, the wallet, it's kind of faded now, but was an arrow. Uh, and how about that for, for going out there bow hunting and, uh, uh, you know, to have a, a, an old wallet that has an arrow on it. That's great. It's all coming full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that is fantastic. Uh, well, Dylan, I think we accept, accept that as a good answer. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, I don't have his old wallet in my pack. I don't either. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, and a knife would just be too easy. We can't, we can't let anybody get away with that one. No. So, 
Well, Mike, uh, really appreciate you taking some time with us today and, and joining us. Um, I know I'm excited to have you on the board. I know the rest of the board is as well. And uh, really look forward to continuing working with you. Yes, I've enjoyed it. And, and I absolutely do. And thank you, both of you, for inviting me. And uh, I hope that I can, you know, do whatever I can for the Pope and Young Club and, you know, to help us both with the board and membership and members. Look forward to it.